Hey everybody, we are back again. Welcome to another edition of the Text Lab. Will Watson here from the green room of Vintage Grace Church. Good to be back, Will. So good to be back, Crawl. Look, it's been a great day. It's going to be a great weekend. Dude, how are you doing? How is life? I'm doing well. Will, uh, you're starting to experience some of the famous Sacramento heat that is coming. The summer's up here. It's getting warm. Hey, listen, coming from Texas, where you can't just hop in the shade and it's 10 degrees cooler. Like I'm living my best life, all right? I feel like I have, I was just at, like you on your little baby moon last week with a Mai Tai did. or something else next to the pool. Yes, nothing like a little Texas humidity to make you appreciate some Sacramento summers. Sacramento Southers have nothing on Texas summers. And I'm so thankful for that. Well, once again, this is not a weather podcast, but this is a podcast about God's word to us. Our hope is really just to equip you as leaders, as disciples, as we walk through the text this week to be a disciple who makes disciples. We are diving in to Revelation chapter six and seven this week, um, a lengthy passages of scripture here. So we're not going to read it here on the pod, but Will, why don't you just kind of give us some big idea. Uh, what are we stepping into in chapter six and seven of Revelation this week? Yeah, I mean, we start getting into judgments from the throne of the land. We start getting into the seals, not those sorts of seals that you see hopping around McCovey Cove. All right, a much different sort of seal here. I saw um, some seals this last weekend in Monterey. <laughs> there you go, saying. dude. Yeah. So honestly, this seal is just like signs of judgment brought about by God to demonstrate God's power, to enact his justice. Um to show judgment on the earth, ultimately, is what's happening here. Um, and so we, we start to see these seven kind of movements of judgment taking place here. Yeah, I think it's really helpful, two things. As we approach Revelation chapter 6 and 7, as we exegete this passage of Scripture, to think about authorial intent and think about what was John having in mind when he was writing this? The text can't mean what it never meant. Okay, so as we approach this, let's think about author's intent here in chapter six, and let's think about um, how John would have thought about the numbers that are listed here. We're going to get into some of these passages of scripture where there's a lot of numbers, some of these different signs. What was he thinking about? It's really important to think about this through a Middle Eastern lens where Oftentimes, these writers were thinking more circular and repetitive than we are in the West, often um, think a little bit more linear and logical. And that leads us to often say, okay, seven means seven specific things. Rather, John was talking about seven as a number of completeness. So when we get into these different numbers, three sets of seven, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls, he's probably making a point about completion there versus the details of exactly seven different things there, which can just be a helpful lens to have as we approach. Yeah. And I think like along those lines, we really are trying to say, okay, what is the big idea of scripture? Not trying to get bogged down into the little details. Like you're yep. trying to say like, what's the overarching thing that God's trying to show us in his text that actually we're able to understand, comprehend, but also like let that hit our soul in a really sweet space. Yep. Which I think really lends it to itself um, to authorial intent and thinking through what did what was the big idea? What was the main point that John had in mind when he was writing this passage? Which, as you even think about these seals, that leads us to this place that we've been talking about in the Revelation scripture the, in the series the whole time is that, okay, God has one. 
He is winning now, and he will win in the future. There really is this past, present, and future sense and understanding of that. And honestly, I think that's really the main point of these passages and understanding, okay, God is on the throne. He is victorious. He rules. He reigns. Will, what are your thoughts on that as we get into especially even some of the judgment part of this passage where there are the seals that are unveiled, there's the horsemen and some different things like that. How do we how do we understand the horsemen a little bit? How do we just understand God's judgment being played out? Yeah, so we can start with the horsemen, right? So again, we're going to try and look and see where has this shown itself throughout Scripture. Zechariah 6 uh, is, does a really good job kind of paralleling with this section. Uh, in Zechariah, the horses are God's ordained angelic judgment sent to the four directions of the earth against the nations. Uh, what is interesting is that these horses are obedient to God. Uh, they come when they're called and do what they are called to do. This is so good for us. But also understanding like judgment. Uh, like we have this very difficult understanding of du- judgment uh, just because we it is a difficult subject to think about. But if we think about judgment of God revealing he wins, he has one and he will win, and that he's actually, in order for justice to prevail, judgment has to have its place. Mm. And so for us, for us to be able to receive grace, judgment does need a place because there's justice for those who do not love and treasure Jesus. Um, and, And that's actually a beautiful thing for those who actually find their rest and grace in Christ. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really helpful to think about judgment in relation to understanding God as a good father. He never loses that reality of this father who's loving his children even in judgment, he is operating in grace and truth. I was having a conversation with somebody this morning where we were, t- we were talking about God as a father and God as a parent and thinking about judgment as a consequence that is played out. That is one, always calling us back to God, but then ultimately always preserving something really good. See, and that's where God's judgment is actually preserving God's holiness. It's preserving his kingdom. It is separating the reality of sin and darkness and a world without God from the reality of the beauty of the kingdom of God. And so God's justice is played out, but because God is just, because there is this part of God that is wrath and hatred towards evil and sin, that must be there in order to preserve the goodness and the holiness and the character and nature of God. Yeah. And along those lines, I mean, I think it's important to realize like the whole, the character nature of God is not one or the other. Mm. Like God is always just, and he's always full of grace. And he's always working from both of those paradigms of like, I, we talk about this a lot as parents of like, Oh man, I love my daughter so much that there's actually justice that takes place if something were to be against my daughter Mm. because of the love that I have. Now, are there spaces for grace? A hundred percent. Is there a freedom and a welcoming into that space? A hundred percent. But is there justice that needs to take place? accordingly yes always that is the natural ebb and flow of who god is he's always fully hatred towards sin and while still fully gracious and loving towards us yeah and i think that that makes so much sense when we understand justice and the love of god hand in hand with each other there is no real love of god without justice and wrath and hatreds of things that aren't god's love that's where 
God's love is not moral relativism. It's not live and let live. There is this definition to it, and his justice is actually what preserves that definition. And thinking about justice being carried out after there has been invitation and invitation and invitation to come and repent and come back to Jesus to save people from that justice being uh, displayed and carried out. I gave Jackson a timeout last night. You know, we're having a little bit of a rough time with bedtime. Not uncommon in the crawl household sometimes these days. But thinking about, I, I told him multiple warnings, right? Like thinking about scripture even as this warning and this unveiling of the reality of the kingdom. And then it was, and then there was this line that was crossed and, and he was the one that chose that time out. Um, and in the same way, thinking about that, like God's justice, God has given us multiple warnings. That's what revelation is this is. It is this book of second chances. It is this book of good news to repent while there is still time, because at some point, there's going to be a timeout. At some point, there's going to be the unveiling of this consequence, this judgment, um, this justice that gets played out. And Revelation is continually calling us to repent now while there is time. And I think, like, again, if we're tracing this back to Old Testament, that's the purpose of the law, right? Mm. The purpose of the law was never for it to be perfected in us broken humanity. Right, right. The purpose of the law was to reveal, hey— you need to stop this. You need something greater actually in you um, that draws you out, that draws you into a relationship with Jesus, um, that actually draws you out of outside of yourself because we realize, hey, look, if it is up to myself, I could never accomplish perfection in the way that it's deemed righteous, which actually, Crawl, leads us right into our next point of like, tell us what's going on with 144,000 here. Um <clears throat> Let us like what what do we see? I know this is a really highly misunderstood passage um, and just help us give some clarity uh, on both ends. Yeah, a lot of believers come into this passage. It's kind of the numbers guessing game again. OK, seven means this. What does this mean? What are these signs? Who are the horsemen? And they go into that same framework with the 144,000. When really, I, I really do believe 144,000 is telling us something of the story of what has already been being played out in all of redemptive history. And it could be a literal 144,000. John just also doesn't give us more details than what is said in the text. Um, but really, I believe the, the piece for us to pull from this is this is ta talking about what has already come about, what is coming about now, and what will come about in the future. He's really talking about the entire narrative of scripture here, how God has worked from Abraham to Isaac to uh, Moses to David through these Old Testament um, prophets and fathers of the faith. And that, that despite their unwillingness to repent, um, despite Jackson's unwillingness to be obedient, God still carries out his plan. Maybe I should just read Revelation to him tonight. And see if we have better bedtime, you know, scenarios. Or so but that could regardless be, of that, see if that works. But like, either way, this continual narrative that has played out, where God has called Israel to repent, they have refused to repent. But Jesus still has carried out His big redemptive plan of salvation for all of mankind, and you see that happening through the nation of Israel. God will accomplish it, what He desires, even when we, even when Israel doesn't understand it when we don't repent, when we don't get it. I think that's kind of one of the big points here being pointed out about the 100, 
44,000. Yeah. And again, like, again, it's what we just talked about. It's like looking at this from the broad picture of scripture and seeing how God is faithful to pursue Israel. He's faithful to pursue us, even in our brokenness and our fallenness. He actually like, crawl like if we're thinking about it, like he uses the 12 disciples and their brokenness. I was having this conversation with someone earlier. I was like, Jesus never like tells them one time, Hey, listen, uh, believe and you're good. Mm. He's, he's always there saying like, okay, do you love me? Yeah. Well, well, not enough. Mm. Like you don't, but I'm going to, I'm going to still invite you into this space. And he continually draws us as he's done time and time and time again. And that's what we talked about. Like with, with the law previously is actually the 12 tribes and actually like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they realized their sin and they realized their need for a future savior. And that's what we see in Hebrews when we see the, the, it's about the faith. It's mm. about where we're able to trust and treasure. And ultimately, regardless of how often or how wrong the sin is or whatever it may be, the repentant heart to come back yeah. to Jesus and say, okay, I was wrong yeah. and I'm going to sit in my time out and I'm going to be welcomed by your loving arms time and time and time again. Which leads us right into where chapter 7 ends, where there's this great multitude in white robes from every nation, every tribe, people, language. They're wearing white robes. They're holding palm branches. This reference back to Palm Sunday, the coming conquering king who rules and reigns over all things. They're crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Their robes are white, not because of anything that they've accomplished, not because Israel was so great, not because we're so great, but because of what the lamb has done. And they respond in worship. Angels standing around the throne, elders, the four living creatures falling on their faces before the throne, worshiping God, worshiping Christ, worshiping the lamb for what he has done. And that just brings us back in Revelation to, I think the whole point of Revelation of who this narrative and who this story is about, our role and our place in it responding in worship to the lamb who has conquered to the only one who makes us white and washes our, us clean in him through only what Christ has done on the cross. Um, th- this l- last part of seven, I think for your group to really just spend some time in, uh, I, cause it c- does kind of serve as this main point passage of what's revelation all about. This is what it's about. Jesus who has won is winning and will win. Yeah. And then also like how, like, this is something good to just sit and went through with your group is like, man, the grace of the gospel to draw us continually back and realize in the midst of your mess, he, Jesus actually clothes you. Mm. He washes you by his blood as we are coming before him and asking for forgiveness. And we're imperfect, broken, desperate, dependent people who Mm. need Jesus. And it's a free gift to come continually to the well that will never run dry. And that's like, that's what we see here. Like, this is the beauty of the gospel is like, it's not based upon how many times you repent, actually. Uh, uh, Edwards has this great quote that says, actually, even our repentance needs repenting of Mm. like, it's despite of our repentance need repenting of that, like Jesus still cleanses us mm. and makes us white as snow by his blood. Mm. So good. So good. I, I think we've been hitting a lot of application already, but really just what is it? I think for me, as I think about application from this passage of like, what does it look like just to live in the reality 
of the white robes that Christ has washed us in every single day, every single moment, that being the defining reality of your life uh, allows you just almost like take a deep breath in God's grace for us. That is what defines us. That's the core and truest thing about us is that Christ has paid for our sin on the cross. He has washed our robes white in him. Things for you, Will, application-wise, this passage? Dude, same thing. Like just breathing in the gospel every day, even on Mondays, right? Like even on Mondays, the gospel is for me. Mm. Like even when you've got a bunch of stuff going on or like you just kick off the week and you're coming off the weekend and you're like, okay, I don't have to perform. I can just rest in who Christ calls me to be. I can be who I am because I am washed by the blood of Christ. And I'm going to continue to journey in that space of saying like, actually, you know what? I need to confess that wasn't who you created me to be. Like I, let me strive for who you actually have created me to be, but the freedom to step into those spaces. Mm, So good. good. Hey, real quick, Ryan, shout out to Ryan and to Zach Surface, the man behind the mic who crushes it week in, week out. Thank you guys for what you do. Ryan put our text guide together and has done an incredible job with that. Whether you are at the gym, at the coffee shop, at soccer practice, in the car, wherever you listen to podcasts, we hope this equips you to be a disciple who makes disciples, to dive into the text this week as you live and walk in your pray wash communities. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you and know that you are the one who was sent by God this week to your family, to your school, to your work, to your coffee shop, to the gym, and to soccer practice. Wherever your prayer watch community might be and wherever God invites you to go, where you were sent to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you guys. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.